Now, I want to tell you about probably my favorite, favorite day of the entire year, night. It's Women's Night of Worship. How many of you have ever been to Women's Night of Worship? It's the best. If you haven't come, come. This is year five. This is our fifth year coming up. Women's Night of Worship. It's a night of preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. It's usually packed in here. So put it on your calendar. Bring friends. Bring family members. Bring your daughters if they're old enough to enjoy it. Um, It's just a night of preparing our hearts. And the theme this year is how the birth of Christ shone light into the darkness of our world. And doesn't that sound perfect for what we're living? As you know, our dear Lisa leads the whole, the all-girl worship band, and it's just a very special, special night. So postcards are in your groups, so group leaders will hand these out to you today so you can remember. Also, next week, what is it? Thanksgiving, and we're not meeting, so don't come. Next week is your Thanksgiving holiday. So um, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving, and I think about what a perfect time it is to pause and say thanks to God for all of his blessings. Our hearts and minds are full of blessings after being in our study in Ephesians. Um, We've been thinking about blessings, and so we have much to thank him for this year. I I heard about um, a new study that came out that has now correlated a heart of gratitude with good health. They say now scientifically it's been proven that people who are grateful are actually healthier. Um, This research says that gratitude doesn't just make you feel like a better person, it's actually good for your health. And clinical trials have indicated that the practice of gratitude does many things physically. It lowers your blood pressure, it boosts your immune system, and it helps you to sleep more efficiently. Uh, A study from from Southern California, San Diego School of Medicine said that people who are more grateful also have better heart health. They find that that inflammation of the heart is less and that there are healthier rhythms to the heart. And they show, again, that people sleep better. um, They're less depressed. Their moods are better during the day. Um, They are less tired. And they say that gratitude has the opposite effect on our health as stress. A study uh, found that, that gratitude, if people who are grateful actually have a boost in their immune system. And they say that stress hormones that are like cortisol are 23% lower in grateful people. Isn't that amazing? And if you, if you, people who practice a daily habit of gratitude, they say it actually reduces the effect of aging on your brain. I'm in. <laughs> that sounds great. So isn't that amazing? And I just think about how Paul has been helping us understand how much we have to be grateful for as he has been recounting to us these spiritual blessings that we have been studying over the last three weeks. We've spent three weeks studying verses 1 through 14. And in verses 3 through 14, we have been contemplating these amazing blessings that are ours in Christ. Um, And we've also been discovering that though they are marvelous, they are so hard to comprehend, aren't they? Let's just see if if you can help Remember, build the list. There are seven, okay? Let's see if we can remember. Do you remember what the first one is? Chosen to be holy and blameless. Okay, Adam, put it up there. (laughs) Holy and blameless. 
The second one, adopted as children, daughters of the king. The third one, okay, you guys are not getting A's today. (laughs) Redeemed, redeemed, set free from bondage of slavery to sin and death. Fourth one, forgiven. Now you go, forgiven, forgiven of all our sins in Christ. Fifth one, future plans are revealed about the uniting of all things in heaven and earth. The sixth one, last week, come on. Oh, that's the seventh one. Sixth one, inheritance, inheritance, that we are God's own inheritance, his own possession. And the last one, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right. Good job. You got your homework assignment too over Thanksgiving to (laughs) memorize those seven blessings. So Paul knows that these realities are hard to grasp. He understands that apart from the divine illumination of the Holy Spirit, we cannot comprehend the vastness of these seven spiritual blessings. And so now, in these next few verses, Paul is praying that we will really get it. He's praying that we'll really get it. And he knows that that's going to come through divine revelation, that God is the one who's going to help us know the realities of these blessings in our lives. And these blessings are not just for today, but they're for our future. They're both. They're now blessings and they're not yet blessings, which we're going to talk about. So today we're going to talk about the dynamic of prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. And um, we are going to look at Paul's these verses in Ephesians 1, 15 through 18, in two parts. So first we're going to look at Paul's prayers of thanksgiving, which are in verses 15 and 16. And then we're going to look at Paul's prayers of intercession, which are in verses 17 and 18. So we're going to be contemplating these questions. We're going to be thinking about um, why is prayer vital to our understanding of God's word? Why do they go together? We're going to be thinking about how do we grow in our own prayer life. Um, How many of you feel like your prayer life is perfect and you have no room for growth? (laughs) We never feel that way. We all want to grow. We're going to look at who is our greatest example in the realm of prayer. Paul certainly is one, but there's one even greater. And we're going to talk about how does prayer unleash wisdom and knowledge in our lives. And so what I hope we're going to learn today is that prayer engages our hearts with the heart of God. Prayer is that place where there's communion between our earthly human hearts and the heart of Almighty God, and that happens as the Holy Spirit brings us into communion with each other. So it's really amazing, and I hope that this encourages you today. So first, let's talk about prayers of thanksgiving. As we begin this section, Paul is revealing his, his heart of prayer and gratitude for the Ephesians. So he says in verse 15, For this reason, now that reason being all of the spiritual blessings he's just told us in verses 3 through 14. So for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now Paul is writing this from Rome. This is one of his prison epistles. So he's writing this while he's in prison in Rome. And so he has heard this really good news about his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. He's heard that they're actually growing in their faith, and they are growing in spiritual maturity. 
And I think for Paul, this is just amazing. It's astounding because he knows what it's like living in Ephesus. Okay, think of living in Portland. He knows what it's like. He knows the spiritual darkness in Ephesus. He knows how this is a city where everyone worships pagan idols. The, the, the temple of Artemis, Diana, this, the goddess of, of, of abundance and fertility and all of that. He knows the darkness there. And so he's hearing this good news that those believers in Ephesus are growing in spiritual maturity. They're growing in faith. And even more than that, they're expressing love towards one another. There's a transformation of their hearts that's occurring. And so he is so encouraged to hear this. And I think about how for many of us who have adult children, how many of you have adult children? So quite a few of you. For many of us, we have adult children who are trying to forge their way in the world. And for them, we, um, we, we so desperately want them to grow in faith. We want them to have that moment where their faith becomes their own. And so we, we yearn for that time where they, they might say, you know, they found their own church community and they're going on their own. Or, or we think about when they choose a mate uh, a, who's a Christian, like a Christian um, young woman or, or man. And, and so it's, it's a time that just makes our hearts sing. It, it, we rejoice in that because, because as parents, if you've raised your children to believe, you've planted seeds of faith and you've watered seeds of faith and you've prayed for them fervently and you just yearn for this moment where they blossom in their faith. It takes root and their faith becomes their own in Christ. And this is how Paul feels about these spiritual children. He's the one who was in Ephesus teaching the word of God, planting the seeds of faith, watering the seeds of faith, praying ceaselessly for them. And now to hear that the seeds of faith are taking root and they're blossoming and they're actually treating each other differently, this just makes his heart sing. He's so grateful. Now, he talks about them growing in faith and growing in love. And throughout scripture, there's three words that seem to always go together faith, hope, and love. And these three words are words that are evidence of the Holy Spirit being alive in a person. We know that the Holy Spirit is given to a person who receives Christ by faith. We know then that the Holy Spirit works in a person to to, um, spur genuine feelings of love for other people that spill out into relationships that God is able to give us actually his love for people. And so that becomes a defining characteristic of Christians. And then there's that hope, that hope that is a hope for now and a hope for the future. And so faith, hope, and love are are three words that very much go together as evidences of a person's life who is in Christ. And of course, this is miraculous. This is a miraculous transformation of the human heart. The human heart is not naturally a heart that expresses faith in God and love for other people and hope for the future. The normal condition of the human heart can be despair and selfishness and and hopelessness. And so this is evidence of transformation happening. So this is why Paul is just not stopping to give thanks for the believers and praying for them. Jesus reminds us in scripture, too, that faith and love go hand in hand. He says in John 13, 35, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love is a fruit of the Spirit, and it gives evidence of genuine faith. 
When God's people love each other, it's an indication that they're in, alive in Christ, that they're born again, which really, interestingly, ties in with what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. We're talking about unity, one of the characteristics of a living church, and that is birthed out of faith and love. So Paul is grateful. He's grateful that the, the Ephesians have, have experienced true faith in Christ, that they're also expressing love, and so he's praying these prayers of thanksgiving to God. Pray, praying prayers of of praise and thanksgiving flow out of a heart of gratitude. When we feel grateful, prayers of praise and thanksgiving just flow out of a grateful heart, which I think is so timely because we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving next week. And it's a good time to think about prayer and to think about praise and thanksgiving and what we're thankful for. Let's talk first about prayer and why it's so vital to, for the Christian life. Martin Luther has an amazing quote. He says, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Wow. Jesus is our greatest example of someone in the realm of prayer. If you think about it, if anybody didn't need to pray, it was Jesus, the Son of God. Why would he need to pray to his Father, who has a perfect filling of the Holy Spirit? And yet Jesus is our greatest example for prayer. He is, he, prayer is actually the dominant theme, feature of his life, and a reoccurring part of his teaching. He not only models a life of prayer, he teaches about prayer. Prayer is what kept Jesus' vision sharp. It's what gave him courage and enabled him to endure the very painful will of his father, which was to go to the cross. And it, prayer wasn't an add-on to, to his life. It was the essential core of his being. He was, he was prayerful. He withdrew on many occasions to pray. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that he got up early and he went to a quiet place so that he could pray. In fact, in Luke 5.16, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate place, places and pray. So who did he withdraw from? Well, he, endrawed, he withdrew from crowds of people who wanted from him all the time, healing and truth and feeding and all the things that he could give them. And he also drew from just the busyness of his of his life, that he needed to go away. And that's just like us. We are women who people want something from us all the time. We are in demand in our relationships or in our workplaces or in our volunteer ministries or whatever it is. There are so many demands, and we cannot expect that we're going to have the kind of depth of prayer life that Jesus did in the midst of that. We need to be able to withdraw. We need to be able to, to step away from it like Jesus did. And Jesus was um, filled with great spiritual power, and yet he knew how desperately he needed to repair the source of his strength and refresh his weary spirit. I think about Jesus. You know, he is the prince of life, the eternal one, the only begotten of the Father. He is glorious in every way, and yet he would prostrate himself in meekness before the throne of God and make an appeal for grace and help in time of need. He was so humble in his drawing near to the Father and praying. And so we too, we need to understand that we don't have what it takes for life in a broken world. We just don't. 
it's, it's hard living life in the midst of sin and evil and death. And so we need to be able to withdraw away from life and spend time with our Heavenly Father. We need to step away from the noise of this broken world. We need strength and grace to navigate each day. And prayer is an opportunity to commune with God the Father, whom we've been invited into his presence by Jesus the Son, and in whom we pray by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do you notice that all three persons of the Godhead are involved? We are able to come to the Father because of the Son, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are invited into the most intimate relationship of the triune God. In fact, um, Hebrews reminds us that we are actually invited to come boldly into this place, into the throne room of God. He tells us in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is an invitation to come into the Holy of Holies through Christ, in the Father's presence, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and commune with God, to bring our hearts into communion with God's heart. Now, prayer, I think, is a word that carries a lot of weight. Prayer. It sounds like so formal. And it feels sometimes intimidating when we say, you know, prayer, well, it feels like I don't know what to say when I come before God. We might think like, well, I don't have the right language. I don't know how to speak to God. Or else it immediately ignites feelings of guilt, like, oh, I don't pray enough. I always feel badly about my prayer life. And so just the word prayer carries with it a lot of, a lot of weight. But if we remember that we are adopted as daughters of the King, and that um, we can think of prayer, then, as family conversation. If you're a daughter of the king and your heavenly father, good, good father, has invited you to commune with him, to talk to him, then you can approach him not with a feeling of burden or intimidation or guilt, but as an invitation to have family conversation with your father. It's a time to dialogue with the living God of the universe who has invited you to call him Abba Father and to speak to him, and he will speak back to you through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Timothy Keller says that prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Having an encounter with God will stir your heart to praise and thank him. I was thinking about our study last year in the attributes of God. How many of you did the study last year? You know, that study has changed my prayer life, most particularly in the times that I spend praising him, because I feel like I have a whole new language to praise God. We um, last year used this image a lot of the telescope being flipped around. You know, how often this is how we pray, I am huge and God is small and far away. And what we learned last year in our study was to flip that around and to see how magnificent God is. And we, we got a language for praising him that I am so grateful for. It changes how I talk to him and praise him because I can remember his characteristics. So here's a truth that I want you to take away this morning. Praying prayers of praise and thanksgiving awaken us to God's majesty and make us grateful people. 
Praying prayers of praise and thanksgiving awaken us to God's majesty and make us grateful people. When you pray, do you begin with an attitude of awe for who God is and then of gratitude for what he's done before you bring him all of your requests? Do you start with praise and thanksgiving like Paul has modeled to us? One of my most favorite moments of each week happens at noon on Wednesday, right over there in that corner. It's called Wednesday Noon Prayer. This actually started two years ago, and there's about anywhere between 10 and 20 of us who show up. You are all invited. But let me just invite you by saying that if you want to grow in your prayer life, if you want to be encouraged in your prayer life, get with others or come join us at Wednesday Noon Prayer. We always begin by praising God together. We just begin by, by speaking out the attributes of who he is. We begin by lifting our eyes up, and that is the most encouraging thing because all of us come into that moment with days that are full of concerns and worries and distractions, but we come together and we just center our thinking on who he is, and we speak that out to each other. And then we go into a time of thanking him for what he's done. And it's so fun because we're together week after week, and so our list of answered prayers is getting longer and longer and longer. Yes, and we're able to just thank him for all that he is doing actively. It's such an encouragement to our faith. And then we lift up our requests to him, and by the time we lift up our requests to him, it just seems like everything's right in the world. The other thing that has been just a blessing in my life is that um, six months ago, my husband and I decided to pray every morning together. It was really the Lord who decided and put it on our hearts at the same day. And so we started six months ago meeting at 5.30 in the morning at the kitchen table. And we do the same thing. We begin by praising God. And let me tell you, it is so hard now that it's dark in the morning. <laughs> it was really a lot easier in the summer when the birds were singing and the sun was rising. Now it is cold and it is dark and we're tired, but we drag ourselves out of bed. We meet at the kitchen table and it's amazing to start the day by praising God. And God just floods our minds with things to, to praise him for. It's like we show up and he meets us there. He reminds us of things about himself. And then we thank him, but we only thank him. We try to thank him for 24-hour segments. It's great just to go, Lord, in the last 24 hours, where have you shown up? And let me, let me praise and thank you for what you've done. And it's amazingly encouraging to your faith. And then we pray. We pray for all kinds of things. And let me just tell you, half the time, my prayers are like, Lord, help me. Just help me. I try not to tell him always how to fix everything. I just tell him, I just need your help. And then the next day, I see how he shows up. It is so encouraging. It is, it is amazing to, to start your day praising and thanking God because it changes your perspective about everything that happens from that moment forward. So I want to just challenge you as you're getting ready to enjoy a time of thanksgiving next week, how can you cultivate an attitude of praise and thanksgiving that you can bring into your setting wherever you're going to be? Some of you are traveling. Some of you are going to be sitting at a table with people who maybe you don't like very much or maybe people that there's strain in the relationship or maybe it's going to be challenging. But what if you were to take between now and then and cultivate an attitude of gratitude 
And maybe you go back and you start thinking about just what we've been studying, what these spiritual blessings have been, and praise and thank God for your increase of faith, for your increase of love, and then take that love and that faith into your thanksgiving and be able to give him glory. I want to challenge you for that, because I know for some of you that'll be really hard, but for some of you it could change everything in how next week goes for you. Well, let's talk about intercession In verses 17 and 18, Paul's continuing his prayer by addressing God, and he starts by kind of calling God in two different names that we haven't been accustomed to hearing in Scripture. The first name is he calls him the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the second he calls him Father of Glory. So who is Paul praying to, actually? Well, Paul is actually praying the way that Jesus modeled for us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He's praying to the Father, and so the God of our Lord Jesus Christ is the Father, God the Father, and, of course, Father of glory is the Father. So when, again, um, when we pray, we know that we do engage all three persons of the Godhead. We um, address to the Father and come through the Son and pray in the Spirit. So he's just telling us that we address our prayer to God the Father And addressing our prayers again to God the Father is a constant reminder that we're daughters, that we're adopted by grace into God's family, and we enjoy this relationship now. God is about relationship, and prayer is about relationship. It's about communication. And so when we come before him and we address him as our heavenly father, we're reminded, I'm a daughter, and I'm in a a family relationship of love and trust with my Heavenly Father, so I can come not only with boldness, but I can come with trust. I can come knowing that I'm loved. And what is Paul praying for? Well, he's praying these prayers of intercession for God, and he's praying them on behalf of of the believers in Ephesus. He's praying on behalf of all the other churches that he planted in that area, and he's praying for us. He's praying future for future believers. So let's look at what he says. He says he prays that, that um, the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. So he's praying that the Holy Spirit will illuminate us with wisdom and with revelation so that we can know God. You know, the Word of God inspires us, but the Holy Spirit illuminates us, and we need them together, the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit is what brings light out of darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says that, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God shines lights on our hearts and spotlights the glory of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, we're able to know God. And it's the Holy Spirit that shines light so that we can understand. The Holy Spirit is like glasses that we put on and help us to see God's word clearly. The Holy Spirit gives us um, the ability to focus and understand and know how to apply the truth of the word to our lives. And so Paul's praying for three things. He's praying that the Spirit will help us to know God. He's praying that the Spirit will help us to know the hope of our calling. 
And he's praying that the Spirit will help us to know the riches of our inheritance in Christ. So first, he's saying, we need the help of the Spirit to know God. So the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to know Jesus, to know God. One of the best tangible stories about this is in Luke chapter 24. It's the story about the two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. It's, it's an amazing story. I think I thought, got to think about it quite a bit this week. What happened is it's actually resurrection day. And two disciples are walking along the road. They're going to a little village called Emmaus. And they're, they're walking and they're talking. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up and starts walking with them. And it's Jesus. But they don't see it's Jesus. Their, their eyes have been blinded to the fact that this is Jesus. So they're walking and talking, and they're talking about Jesus. And they're saying to each other, you know, how they're talking about um, how they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, and they thought that he was, and they still think he might be, but what's happened now is rumors are going around that the tomb has been found empty. And so they're talking and they're pondering and they're wondering what's happening, and they're telling this guy as he's walking with them all about this Jesus that they hoped was the Messiah, and now the tomb is empty, and they don't know what's happening next. And all of a sudden, he starts to speak to them, and he tells them everything the scriptures have said about himself. And then look what happens in verse 20, chapter 24, verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did, our hearts, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened, up, he opened to us the scriptures? Like they knew when he was telling them the truth of the word about himself that something powerful was going on because he was opening their hearts to understand and to see him. And just like the Spirit opens up those eyes of those men to see Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see Jesus so we can believe. We need the Spirit to open our minds for the scriptures like they did. And I think about that all the more for the study of Ephesians, right? This is not easy stuff. And we're taking it in little tiny pieces, but it's taking a lot of work to try to understand what does this really mean? I pray all week long, Lord, please help me to understand this so well that I can tell you about it. And so I need the Spirit to help give me understanding so I can teach you and then you can go encourage each other in your groups and then teach all the people that are in your lives that you're engaging with during the week. We need the Spirit's help. And when our hearts are burning with truth, then we know that our eyes are being opened to Jesus. Have you ever had that experience where you're like reading the word? Lisa just shared about this, just the hymn, the words of Good, Good Father happened to you this week. But have you ever had the experience where you're reading the word, something you've read a hundred times, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh my goodness, that was for me right now, right here. And you get this aha, like this is, something's happening. Or you're reading and you get in a conviction of sin. Something happens between you and the word that is the spirit opening your heart and mind to something that's personal and it's powerful. That's how the spirit works as we engage with the word. And of course, once we see and believe in Jesus, our whole lives, it's a journey of knowing and changing and applying and growing and knowing more. And we we won't grow in holiness until we grow in the knowledge of God. They go hand in hand. We can't change to be more like Christ without the Spirit helping us understand the Word of God. So that's why we're never done studying the Word of God, ever. 
You know, if we did Ephesians all over again next year, which we won't, we'd have a whole bunch more stuff to learn because we're never done. We have to, we learn and we learn and we learn and we grow. And every time we open God's word, the spirit has something more for us, something new to grasp. And that's what makes studying the Bible a journey of a whole lifetime. It's so wonderful. So the second thing is we need the Holy Spirit's help to know the hope of our calling. So 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us that we have been called out of darkness and into light. This is the hope of our salvation, that we've been called out from darkness into light. This is both a now and a not yet experience. So if you have received Christ as your Savior, you have been called out, redeemed from darkness, from eternal life apart from God, eternal death, from bondage to sin, from paying the penalties of your sin. You've been called out of that. That's a reality. That's present tense. That's already happened. So that's the now part. But there's a not yet part in that we're still living in the midst of a broken world. Praise God we have the Spirit to guide us through. Praise God we have the truth of his word to give us perspective. But we're not home yet. Jesus isn't here yet with us. We are not in his presence. So we have this hope of our calling that we live in light of. We have the now, but we still keep our eyes on the not yet. Um, For the now part, we get the joy of being changed into Christ-likeness as we study and grow. We get the joy of being in the company of the church. Do you know that the word church actually means a called out people? So we are a called out people in the church. We have this incredible um, beauty of communion with God through prayer. But one day when he returns in glory, we will be like him when we see him and we will be with him. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Last week, I spent an afternoon with my dear friend Candace, and Candace has been battling cancer for 19 years. She's younger than I am. She's an amazing woman of God, and she's at a place right now in her life where the options for treatment have run dry, and her latest CAT scan showed an increase in tumors and an increase in the cancer, and she's She's nearing the end of her earthly options. And so this hope is very real for her. This hope of being with Jesus, of stepping from life to life, of being with him, this future glory. You know, it's the hope that we look forward to when there's no more death, there's no more sickness, there are no more tears, there's no more church shootings, there's no more evil in the world. When everything is right in Christ. We look forward to that. And the more brokenness that we experience in our lives, the more death we taste, the more sickness we taste, the more evil that runs rampart in our world, this is the hope of our calling is that one day this will end and we will be with Jesus forever. And all of this will stop. Yes. So the third thing is that we need the Spirit's help to know the riches of our inheritance. We talked a lot about that last week. God places such great value on our lives that he calls us his inheritance. The Spirit helps us to know over and over how much we're loved by God. And let me just say, I would say the number one reason why we need to meet with God every single day is that every day we need to hear him say, I love you. You belong to me. 
you are my beloved. Because every other voice in our life is screaming everything but that. We need to hear that over and over and over again. So when our hearts are enlightened by God's spirit, we grow in our knowledge of him, and then we just praise and worship him all the more. And this truth that I want you to to take away is that praying prayers of intercession tether our heart to God's heart. When we pray prayers of intercession, it tethers our heart with God's heart. Now, our heart is our whole mind, self, will, and emotion. It's all of us. It's not physical body. It's everything about our soul, our mind, our will, everything. And so when we engage our whole selves in a time of concentrated prayer with God, we are aligning ourselves with God. And things happen when that happens. Our hearts are moved and God's heart is moved. And there's this communion that happens. And let me just tell you a few things that happen. First of all, we fall in love with the people that we pray for. We do. It's just, it's miraculous. That's why, sure, God says pray for your enemies. It changes our hearts towards them. But I know your leaders are praying for you. And I know they tell me over and over again, oh, I love my women. I love them. And I know it's because they're praying for you because that's what happens. Strangers become objects of love through prayer. But the people that we pray for, we fall in love with those people. It means something to us. We get God's love for them. We also are tremendously humbled by God's grace and mercy towards us when we pray. As we praise and thank him, we're overwhelmed with his grace and mercy towards us, and it just increases our love for God. Another thing that happens is that his spirit softens our hard and stubborn hearts. And we might not even realize how hard and stubborn our hearts are until we're in a posture of prayer, and then we see it. And then not only does he soften our hearts, but then he softens other people's hearts that we're praying for. And that's a miracle. We pray for people for many years sometimes that their hearts will be soft enough to see Jesus. And then they do. And we know that's a miracle that's happened really out of prayer. The other thing that happens is that sin begins to look repulsive to us. That sin begins to taste bitter in our mouths and we, we reject it in our lives. And we begin to see avenues where we can flee temptation when sin not, comes knocking at our door. The other thing that happens is that we begin to grow in confidence in our prayer life because we begin to see more and more prayers being answered. And that reminds us that God listens and he engages with us in prayer. And then we, we also begin to experience more peace in our lives. You know, God is about bringing shalom into the broken places of our world. And when we pray, we begin to see God bringing peace into our lives and healing broken places in relationships or just in, in our lives in many different capacities. Another thing that happens is we begin to feel God's pleasure and we experience his love and we start to believe, I am God's beloved. We find, too, that in prayer, God directs our paths. Sometimes we don't know how to move forward. It seems dark up ahead, and we find light switches that go on, and we see directions, or we're given wisdom for really perplexing situations. um, We're able to make better decisions when we pray. And then you know the best part is? The more that we pray, the more we want to spend time with him, and we begin to understand that our prayers do become like the breath of life. And eventually, we feel like, I can't even start this day until I pray. I need to breathe with God 
before I step out into my life each day. Prayer just changes our hearts. It changes our hearts and it changes other people's hearts. And it's, it's so powerful. So how would you like to grow in your prayer life this year? How would you like to grow? Paul has reminded us that we just need to pray. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us so that we know God more. And we praise and thank him for what we see him doing. And then we intercede for, the, for our lives, our own lives, and for the lives around us. That is what helps us to grow in faith and spiritual maturity and love for other people. But I want to just say that I think too often we live our lives with a constant stream of arrow prayers. You know those prayers. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, I need a parking place really close to the front door of this place I'm going. Oh, God, please don't let it rain today. I don't have my raincoat. Oh, God, you know, we just do these, like, these arrow prayers. And I think there's a place for arrow prayers because that is practicing what I call constant conscious communion. There's a place for that. But imagine that you're in a relationship with your husband and every conversation you have is a honeydew. Honey, will you do this? Honey, will you do that? Can you imagine how unsatisfying that would be both for you and for him? We don't want to have a honeydew relationship with God. We want to have date nights with God, date mornings with God. We want to have focused, concentrated time in this relationship of father and daughter that is deep and rich and meaningful and life-changing. So will you, I want to challenge you, will you carve out time and place to spend with the Lord each day. Time and place, both have to go together and try it. Try it just this week before Thanksgiving. See if it doesn't radically change your Thanksgiving experience. And you can start with five minutes. You can go to 10. It might take you 20 or 30 or 40, whatever, but just make the start. This is the chair. This is the time. And every day I'm going to meet in this place and commune with God When you meet, begin by praising him, praising and thanking him. Open the word if you need to open a psalm. Speak out to him who he is. And then thank him just for the last 24 hours. Lord, what have I seen you do in the last 24 hours? And then bring your request to him. And it's okay if your request is just help. I just say, help me, Lord, with this day. Help me with this meeting. I don't know what I'm getting into. Help me with my teaching. Help me understand I need the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me strength and energy to get through this day. It's help, 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 and that's okay. It's okay just to pray for help because he helps, and then you're like, whoa, Lord, you showed up. Thank you so much. And let me just give you the best advice that I have ever gotten in regards to prayer. You're going to write this down. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. Bring your heart to the Lord and sit with him until you commune with God in the depth of your being and you grasp what it means to be tethered with your Father through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that our prayer life seems to fall short of what we desire because we know how amazing you are, how awesome you are. And we want to experience you. We are desperate to experience you. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your truth. We need your spirit. 
We can't even come here on Tuesday morning without your help, Lord. Everything wars against us communing with you. So, Lord, help us. Help us. Help us find a space to meet with you. Help us find a space to speak with you. And, Lord, would you irresistibly draw us to that place and to that time every day this week so that we can experience the joy of communion with our Abba Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.